all the really smart guys tell us what we already know. Um, all the Christian PhDs and psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and therapists, they tell us what we already know. Even unbelievers get this right. The human heart needs to be loved. It's a core, basic, compelling, visceral need in every human being. And that is to be loved. While most of us are not particularly adept at giving and receiving love, uh, we need it. And as Christians, we're learning, right? To, to not only love those we should love, but to love those around us that God calls us to love. We can be quite inept at this, but uh, sometimes we get close. And I was thinking about it um, sometimes when I knew I was loved. And uh, just very briefly, I, I remember uh, an event when I was four years old. I was seriously injured, and, and uh, my, my mom scooped me up. And she, she, my dad jumped in the car, and they were taking me to the hospital. And my mom was holding me and loving me and whispering to me and rocking me. And, you know, I don't, I don't remember the pain. I remember writhing in pain, but I don't remember the pain. But I can remember my mother's face, and I remember how hurt she was for me. I think that night was worse for her than it was ultimately for me. She loved me with all she had that night. Uh, I remember my dad. My dad was a good man. He lived at a very high level. He was a deacon in the church. Uh, he had a, a pristine reputation in the, in the community, and and I did something that became public that was a great embarrassment to him. I knew he would not only be angry, he would be deeply hurt. And the day I stood before him, after he found out what I had done, uh, any punishment would have been justified. You know what he did? He hugged me. He, he showed me kindness. And he showed me grace. He taught me about grace that day. Uh, which is always a good lesson for parents to teach their children. Um, I knew I was loved that day. I'd known it all along that my mom and dad loved me, but you know, there are just those certain moments. And the, th the third thing I thought of was uh, fast forward to my adulthood, and this woman named Karen came into my life, right? And we met at church, and she was really cute. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, it was the best first date I'd ever been on. I can remember telling my friend this was the best first date I'd ever been on. Uh, I mean, I actually said those words. This was the best first date I'd ever been on. And uh, he asked me if there was any kissing. I said, no, there was no kissing on the first date, right? But um, we really fell in love pretty fast. And it wasn't about the kissing. It was, it was because we, it was about, it was about the Lord. <laughs> I saw him in her and she saw him in me. And, uh, yeah, and for those of you who are married, some of you uh, know that being married in Christ, uh, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Every day I know I'm loved by her. I know I irritate her many times, but even when I irritate her, she, she loves me. So, most of us have these kinds of moments that you could 
talk about. These are kinds of relationships. But those are not the moments you were loved the best. It's the moment we celebrate next week that you were loved the best. It was when God in a body, God incarnate, allowed Himself to be nailed to a tree because He loved you. Because of your sin. It's a huge coincidence, or maybe not, (laughs) that what the human heart needs the most, God is. We studied it uh, Thursday evening with the young adult. Bible study, 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. It doesn't say that God loves. It says God is love. It's a much stronger statement. God is love. Obviously, this is no coincidence at all that what the human heart longs for, God is I love the way Augustine said it. He said, God made us for Himself and our hearts are restless until we rest in Him. Jesus Christ is our prescription. Every human heart is ailing. And Jesus Christ is our prescription. Jesus Christ loves us. The Bible teaches that mankind has devotedly loved God and sought for God and desperately searched and groped for God. And therefore, God responded to man's desire for Him by coming to man and revealing Himself. Is that what the Bible teaches? You ladies that have been studying Romans, is that what the Bible teaches? No way does the Bible teach that. Man does not seek for God. Man does not want God. Man does not naturally love God. If you, you know, you study the book of Romans, you realize, you know, we are rebels with weapons in our hands. And if God would come to us in an unregenerate state, if, we, if we're not Christians, if God comes to us, we would kill Him just like He was murdered in the first century. The Bible teaches us that, that natural man, apart from the miracle of God taking out that heart of stone and putting in that heart of flesh, natural man is a hater of God. That's what the Bible teaches, which only magnifies the fact that He has loved us. It only magnifies the fact that He came while, you heard heard the text read, while we were yet enemies, He died for us. Listen, if you can't worship about anything else, beloved, worship about that. The Bible is crystal clear. Just a few texts. Most of them are from Romans. (laughs) Mankind has suppressed the truth of God in his own conscience. Mankind has exchanged the truth for a lie. Romans chapter 1. Mankind has exchanged the glory of God for created things. Romans chapter 1. Man has been thankless toward God. Romans chapter 1. As I said earlier, mankind is a hater of God. Romans chapter 1. Mankind is full of unrighteousness and wickedness. Uh, Romans chapter 1 actually says mankind is an inventor of evil. 
Mankind has not sought for God, Romans chapter 3. Mankind is an enemy of God, Romans chapter 5. Mankind has indulged the flesh and are by nature children of wrath. This is who mankind is. Now, I know that many false religions and pseudo-Christianity try to put a nice spin on mankind. That we're seeking for God. We just can't find Him. If you actually read your Bible, men are not seeking for God. They don't want God. It's not that men don't know He's there. They do know He's there, and they don't want Him. This is what the Bible teaches. Oh, but He wanted us. <laughs> you know, when you get man right, when you get a biblical view of man, it makes the cross all the more stunning all the more breathtaking. When you get a biblical view of your own heart apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, my own heart apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, it makes the cross all the more amazing. Jeremiah 17.9 came to my mind as I was thinking about these things. Many of you will know this great text. The heart of man is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Some of you will be familiar with Ecclesiastes 9.3. The hearts of men are full of evil and insanity is in their heart. You know, it's insane. We know we need to be loved and yet we run from the One who offers love. It's insane. Right? That's what sin is. Sin is insanity. Sin is insanity. So if we believe our Bibles, we understand that we've never sought for God. He has sought for us. You know, when you rightly divide the Word, <laughs> you know, you, you just can't help but get on your face and worship, man. I didn't want Him! I know I didn't want Him. I told you many times I was converted at 28. I didn't want God, except maybe to check my box. So I, I, at least psychologically I think, well, I won't stand in judgment because I did a religious thing with God. I didn't want Him, but He wanted me. He wanted me, and He came for me. You guys know what an intervention is, right? It's when um, some friends and family, they get together and they confront someone that they love because they're engaging in self-destructive uh, habits or whatever it may, might be, self-destructive behavior, you know, alcohol, drugs, gambling, pornography, an eating disorder. It can be many things, but the, the loved ones stage an, interve an intervention to be a catalyst to help this person change, right? To turn and to abandon those self-destructive habits. I looked up some synonyms for the word intervention. It says to interfere, to get involved, and to intrude. That's what these friends and family do. They, they intervene. They, they interfere. They intrude. They get involved in the life of this person they love. This is really what the Bible is about. <laughs> God has staged an intervention. You and I are engaging in self-destructive behavior. We have, you know, forsaken the fountain of living water for broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
We've given ourselves to superficial pleasures and joys that cannot fill the human heart. And God stages an intervention. It's really what the Bible is about. Don't you love this about Him? It's an intervention. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? Immediately they went looking for God. Well, they said we must find God. We have to go find God. We have to figure out how to, how to be reconciled to God. That's what they did, right? No. They hid from God. And you remember the account. I always loved this. When I first became a Christian, man, I saw it, man. Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> God says, where are you, Adam? Where are you? The seeking God. He's the seeking God. Listen, know your Bibles, beloved. Know your Bibles. If you belong to Christ today, it's not because you sought Him. It's because He sought you. It's always been this way. It's never not been this way. Through all of Scripture. You know, God staged an intervention in, in, uh, in Abraham's life. Abraham's minding his own business. Bam! God calls him to be a father of a great nation through whom God will send Messiah. Right? Let me go back. i got to go back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell. There's a prophecy of Jesus there. You guys know it, right? You guys know the prophecy of Jesus in, in Genesis 3, right? He, he told, he told the, the serpent that, that, that Christ would crush his head. Christ would crush His head. It's a picture of the cross, right? And then God shed the blood of some animals to clothe Adam and Eve. It's a, it's a foreshadowing of the fact that it requires blood to cover sin. So we already see the Gospel in Genesis 3. Then, of course, God calls Abraham in Genesis 12 that Abraham might be the father of a new nation. And God gives a, another prophecy of the Gospel. He says to Abraham, in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a prophecy of Jesus. Members of every nation, tongue, and tribe will be saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God stages an intervention in the life of Moses. He calls Moses to, to go to Egypt and deliver His people through whom Messiah will come. The Exodus is ultimately about God saving His people about Jew and Gentile being saved for all eternity. God staged an intervention in Mary and Joseph's life. He just showed up. <laughs> Alright? And through the body of Mary, God incarnate comes to save His people from their sins. It's about Messiah. And God staged an intervention in all the disciples' lives, including Paul, that they might go and spread the news. They might go and spread the Gospel that seeking God is redeeming God. Creator God is seeking God is Redeemer God. I mean, you see why I say that all of the Bible is, in one sense, a cosmic intervention. God is interfering. God is intruding. God is getting involved in the lives of rebellious men. And what is the impetus for this? What is God's impetus? What is the impetus of God? You guys know the most famous verse in the Bible. Some of you have memorized this. You memorized it in vacation Bible school when you were six. 
Someone tell me the most famous verse in the Bible, the most memorized verse in the Bible. Someone tell me. What is it? John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved you that He gave. You've got to understand, this is not sinned. This is gave. He gave the life of His Son. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the impetus. God has staged an intervention in the lives of rebellious men because He's a Savior. Because He loves. This is who God is. i, I got to share just a couple more verses with you. Ephesians 1, 4-5. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Here it is. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One more. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. There are many others, but I don't have time. And I think you get the picture. God has staged an intervention to save His people. If you love Jesus Christ today, it's not because you wanted God. It's not because you were smart enough to find God. It's not because you were so spiritual that you, you, you came running to God. It's because He came for you. Beloved, when you rightly divide the Scriptures, all that's left to do is worship. There's no place for any pride. And there's no place for any boasting. My awesome seeking God <laughs> has saved. I love, I love to preach about the love of God. And yeah, I could do a year's worth of sermons and never touch the hem of His garment. But I'm going to spend just a few minutes. We're going to talk a little bit about the love of God. Uh, I, I want to say at the outset that you, you have to understand that God's love is not like human love. We talked about this Thursday night. It's complex. It's complex. Don't you dare try to take God's love and turn it into the way you love. You can't even begin to fathom how God loves. How a holy, righteous God loves. You and I cannot fathom this. We cannot fathom how an omniscient God loves. We can't begin to understand how He loves. So don't you dare take your concept of love and say, and, and try to lay that on God. Biblically, you can't do it. And I know we were having some problems, I think, Thursday evening with that, and I think it's a problem that many have. Taking this one-dimensional view of human love and applying it to God. Beloved, we're, we're supposed to be Bible believers. <laughs> don't, don't come to the Bible with your own presuppositions. 
Let the Bible speak for itself. So human love is but a dim, shadowy picture of God's love. And I love how the Holy Spirit says it in Ephesians 3.19. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. It surpasses your knowledge. The multifaceted complexity of the love of God It surpasses your knowledge and it will surpass your knowledge one billion eternities from now. It will still surpass your knowledge. You'll still be worshiping Him. Because His love is so unfathomable to you. Just quickly, God's love is free. It is spontaneous. It is uncaused. God does not love us because we meet some need He has. He has no needs. God is a self-sufficient God. God loves because He loves. I love what He said to the Old Testament Jews, Deuteronomy 7, 7, 8. God essentially says, I love you because I love you. I love you. It's not because you're the largest nation. It's not because you're the best people. It's not because you have any attribute that would attract me. God says, I love you because I love you. This is one way that God loves. God's love is eternal. Uh, (laughs) Human love is uh, a temporary thing. God's love is not like that. It has no beginning. And this makes, you know, this will make you worship if you think deeply about it. If, If, you know, God has loved, God's love has no beginning and it has no end. As I quoted earlier, Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. This is how God speaks about His love. Thirdly, God's love is infinite. It's limitless, boundless. It overflows. It is beyond quantification. There's no measurable height, depth, length, or breadth to it. Human, most human love has limits to it. God's love does not. Fourthly, God's love is immutable. Human love is often fickle. Sometimes spouses leave. Sometimes parents abandon. Sometimes friends just don't return your call. But this never happens with Jesus Christ. (laughs) His love never changes. It's a covenant love in His blood. It never changes. We know what God says. Hebrews 13.5 I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I read it to you in the park last week. Romans 8, what is it that will separate us from the love of God? Someone tell me what it was. Paul found something. Didn't he find something that could separate us from the love of God? What did Paul say? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God. Period. Nothing is what Paul wrote. Lastly, God's love is holy and pure. It is not subject to caprice or infatuation or sentiment. God loves from His perfect, holy will. I love how A.W. Pink talks about this. You know, I get this all the time. People say, well, this bad thing happened, or that bad thing happened, or, you know, why did, why did this thing happen? Why? God can't be love or this would never happen. Listen, you're going to question the love of God? Just look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look what it cost God to buy His people. Look what it cost. You want to question the love of God? You go look at the cross. 
You go watch a man be crucified and you question the love of God ever again. You think deeply. You go study what it is for a man to be crucified. And then you question the love of God. God help you if you question the love of God. There is no question. Listen, the world's not messed up because God's messed up. The world's messed up because you're messed up. And because I'm messed up. Mankind is messed up. Mankind has rebelled. We ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We ate of it. And the fruit of it is everywhere. Don't you dare question the love of God. If that question ever comes up in your mind, you go study a crucifixion. You go study what it means to be crucified. Listen, I want to say this. God's love for you, God's love for me, it's unwarranted, it's unjustified, it's unnecessary, it's unprovoked, it's unbelievable, and it is uncalled for. God should have simply judged you. God should have simply judged me. What does my sin call for? Does it call for a, a sacrificial love act of God? What does my sin call for? It calls for immediate justice. Immediate justice. God said, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Immediate justice is what we deserve. But God's mercy is over all His works, the psalmist says. Listen, if Christianity is small to you, you know, if it's a, small, if it's a religious habit to you, you don't know anything about it. You've never thought deeply about it. You've never wept before God about it. You've not really understood what the text says. You've not understood what an enemy you were and yet how He came for you. If Christianity is a small thing to you on a weekly basis, you don't know anything about it, beloved. I say that to you in love. It can't be a small thing to you. If you really understand what the Bible is saying, it can't be a small thing. To any true believer, it can't be a small thing. You know, Jesus is not a religious habit. He's my life. He's my God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you say I'll do, of course I will. Nobody's ever loved me like you've loved me. This is... Beloved, this is true Christianity. This is what it means to know and understand what has happened here. It's not religion. It's not religion. It, it, uh... John 17, real quick. You guys know that great text. Jesus prays for us. He says, talking to God, He says, Thou didst love them, that's me, you, all true believers. Thou didst love them even as thou didst love me. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? Isn't that unexpected? Or wasn't that unexpected? You heard me use the word unexpected. Isn't that unexpected? That God loves me as God the Father loves God the Son? Isn't that unexpected? Wouldn't you think that God would love me in some lesser way? Some second tier way? Some subordinate way? No! <laughs> as thou didst love them, even as thou didst love me. 
God the Father loves us as God the Father loves God the Son. Do you get it? Do you get it? How can that be small? I, I submit it can't be small if we've truly understood it and believed it. So God has come in a body because He loves His people. The infinite condescension of Jesus Christ to become a baby in a womb and a baby in a manger and a man walking the streets of Jerusalem and a man being nailed to a cross and a man being buried in a tomb. I love that Jesus came Jesus didn't end up dead because the Pharisees wanted Him dead. He didn't end up dead because Herod wanted Him dead. He didn't end up dead because the Romans wanted Him dead. He ended up dead because He loved His people. That's why He ended up dead. And Jesus says, No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down for my sheep. If that's small to you, (laughs) he's God. Nobody takes his life. But as Hebrews 12 says, he joyfully lays it down for the redemption of his people. I'm almost done. I love that great passage in John 18. You guys remember when they came to arrest Jesus. They were in the garden. The Pharisees and uh, the Roman cohort came. There's probably, there's probably four to six hundred men here, okay, to arrest an itinerant preacher from Nazareth and eleven guys. And you remember when the arresting crowd showed up You remember what Jesus did? This is a perfect picture of Jesus, man. You remember what He did? He stepped out between Him. He got Himself between His men and the wolves, between His sheep and the wolves. Jesus said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. And He said, I am. You know what happened then? Anybody remember? Someone tell me what happened. Every one of those four to six hundred men fell to the ground. By the sheer power of His name and His Word. And Jesus is making sure that His eleven guys know and that you know this is no true arrest. God has all the power here. Jesus has all the power here. He doesn't need to, but He could call twelve legions of angels. He's got all the power here. This is no true arrest. This is a God giving Himself voluntarily to redeem His people. I love that text, man. I love that, I love that text. <laughs> I love it. Man, that's how He loves us, man. <laughs> he didn't end up on the cross because He got in a corner. He ended up on the cross Because he loved his people. 
you know, God can only love one way. <laughs> he's, not, he's not like a human being. You know, that we, we're kind of fickle, right? I mean, we, we can kind of... God loves one way. That's all the way. All the time. <laughs> Don't you love that? That's how God has loved us. He's bought us with His blood because of His great love. It's a free, uncaused, eternal, infinite, immutable, holy, and pure love. This Sunday on the Christian calendar is known as, someone tell me, the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And I don't use the word Easter. Many people do, but it has pagan connotations, so I don't use that word. I use the word Resurrection Sunday. So, you know, I... It's not a big deal, but I'm just saying. I, I just try to be. I'm just trying to be accurate. Um, so this is called what? What is this Sunday called? Palm Sunday, and it commemorates Jesus coming into Jerusalem. You know, they call it the the uh, the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus. Which to me, this is not the triumphal entry of Jesus. The triumphal entry of Jesus is you know yet future to us when he comes back on like a, a white horse, and men everywhere are in terror. Because they are afraid of the wrath of the Lamb, those who are not in Christ. But Jesus is coming in, and the people are, are you know, waving the, the, the palm branches, and they're laying the branches before him, and they're laying the robes before him, and Jesus is coming in, and they're saying, Blessed is the, the King of the Jews. And they're saying, Hosanna! Hosanna! What does Hosanna mean? Someone tell me. What? Save us! Save us! He's answering the prayer. Here He comes, God on a donkey to save His people. It's God on a donkey. Who would have ever thought that? Well, the prophet Zechariah he talks about it. Yeah, that's part of the story. That's part of the story. That's part of the story. But from a human perspective... God on a donkey? It's because He's come as a sacrifice, beloved. He's come in humility. He's come to save His people. He's come to be crucified. He's come to be crucified. So next week, the people won't be praising Jesus anymore. Next week, they'll be saying, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Why? Because he wasn't the God they wanted. I see this all the time. You know, in much of Christendom, much of what is called Christendom by the world, it's, it's pseudo, it's false. They no longer hold to this. They don't hold to this. They do goofy things. They just made up stuff and they do, they do goofy stuff. Stuff they made up. They just do it. They just do it. But the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that God has come to save us. And so next week, we will remember His scourging, His crucifixion, His death, and His burial. And next week, we will remember how our God How our Good Shepherd 
laid his life down for us. And we will celebrate one more thing. (laughs) He came out of the grave. He came out of the grave. Beloved, that's the day you were loved the best. That's the day I was loved the best. The day my God died for me. And the day He came out of the grave for me. He has bought eternity for His people. He has saved us from an everlasting hell. So next week, we will worship and give thanks to this great Redeemer God. So I just want to close. Who is a God like ours? Is your Christianity small? You're not thinking rightly about it. Who is a God like ours? Who loves like our God? Who loves like our God? A God who sacrifices Himself. And I'll just close by saying, (laughs) there is no God like Jesus. King Jesus reigns. King Jesus is coming back. And as John tells us, this is the last hour. If you don't know King Jesus, you shouldn't leave this building until you do. And I'll put it another way for you believers. If your Christianity has been small to you, don't leave this building. Don't walk out that door to you covenant with God that it'll never be small again. How can you let it be small? If you believe it. If you believe it. Let's pray together. I really don't know what to say, Lord. Your love is amazing. Forgive us Father, if we've called ourselves Christians, and it's really just become a religious habit. Father, do a mighty work in each of our hearts. We all stand in need of your supernatural power. But one thing we know from your Scripture, that you have loved us. You have loved us with an omnipotent 
love, an eternal love, an infinite love, a pure and holy love, a sovereign love. Lord, I, I pray that this week we would think deeply about what our redemption costs. That we would remember who we were before You. We were Your enemies. But now we are co-heirs, I pray that we would think deeply about it. I pray that we would meditate deeply again on this divine transaction, this divine bloodletting that covered my sin and the sin of every true Christian. So we give all praise, glory, and honor to the matchless and majestic name of Jesus Christ. He is our King. He is our God. He is our Lord. All praise, glory, and honor to Him. Amen.